Walking with Jesus, serving with love, and sharing with courage. Welcome to a new year of the Pecom Podcast. Welcome back to the Pecom Podcast. Uh, thank you to Courtney uh, for all of these book recommendations that I'll now have to add to my book list, which is already too long because I'm a slow reader, <laughs> but I, I trust her uh, her instinct and judgment and taste. And so the, the books that she recommended that I have not yet read uh, will just have to be added to that list. Uh, thanks also to Dan for... Uh, that in- incredible look at some of our, our Christmas hymns and Christmas carols and the history behind them. Um, that was that was fun and, and inspiring. You'll notice that I still kept the uh, Advent series intro song on today's episode, and that is because I have snuck this episode in January 4, while we are still in the season of Christmas tide, the 12 days of Christmas. And so it, it counts. We got it in under the wire. Um, my, my son Easton recently, just out of nowhere, started singing the 12 days of Christmas. That's not a song that we really play in the house. It's not something I knew that he would be familiar with. And I just heard this Four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge. And I was like, wait, what? What just happened? Where'd that come from? Um, and of course, he got excited for the five golden with the big paws and and fanfare. Uh, and so then we started listening to the 12 days of Christmas and trying to remember all of the various swans of swimming and geese of laying and There are a lot of birds, a lot of birds, the first however many, seven, eight, nine days, just all birds, types of birds. Um, Anyway, that was a a fun surprise for us. Uh, Today, I I want to share with you a bit about that guy, that guy, that little guy, my four-year-old son, Easton, who you may have heard before on the podcast. Uh, and I also want to talk about the idea of delight, uh, the verb to delight in something. Delight during this this new year that we find ourselves in. It is new and uh, it promises to be at least as weird and wondrous as any other new year that has been gifted to us in the past. When Steph and I had our first child, our son, Easton, I had, uh, as, as I know many parents do, I had a hard time figuring out exactly what it was I should be doing. It seemed as though everything he needed, he was getting from his mom. And so I, I tried to care for Steph as a way of sort of by proxy caring for him, but but it was difficult. It was difficult to feel any kind of real connection with this this tiny, hungry, poopy, um, 
let's be honest, this nuisance, this new nuisance in the house, uh, demanding everything from us and giving back nothing, just nothing. (laughs) Um, I'm joking, sort of. But really, there, there, there wasn't that instant, for me, there wasn't that instant, um, oh my goodness, being a dad is magical and my life is changed forever moment. I, I just didn't have that moment early on, at least, for the not, uh, at, le- at least not for the first six weeks or so. And, uh, and then at some point, Early on, I, I just felt this deep, uh, this deep sense of calling or this deep knowing that I did have a job, and um, it seemed kind of boring, and it seemed kind of um, unhelpful. But I got this sense that I did have a job to do with this child, and that job would be to simply enjoy him to enjoy him, not to, not to train him, not to teach him, not to make sure he had all the right schedules and equipment and soothing sounds. Those are all good, important things that we would get to, but, but that wasn't what I was sensing my job would be during those first however many weeks. My job would be to simply enjoy him which was actually harder than it, it might sound. It took focus and effort, and most of the time I failed at it, um, but it, at least it was something to try to do. <laughs> Easton is now four years old. He'll be five in April, and he has a, a younger sister now. She's almost one, our, uh, our youngest, Elton. And a few months ago, I felt a, a new calling for what my, my posture towards Easton might need to be, um, sort of that, that core thought that I would have in my response um, to him. My, my wife, Stephanie, works in education. Uh, she's a principal now at an elementary school, and, and that experience um, for her growing in in the world of education, that experience along with her own just instinctive, uh, wise nature has brought a lot of wisdom to this whole parenting thing uh, for me. And one specific example, she she has modeled for me that we, we don't always need to correct children when they're learning language and tenses and general grammar. And so as they're, as they're developing their speech, um, they'll sort of pluralize things that shouldn't be pluralized or the, the tense will be past or future when it should be present. Um, the words as they put them together will just kind of sound funny. Um, and my tendency, and I, and I know the tendency maybe of others, would be to, to help them by correcting them immediately, say, nope. This is how we would say that. And, uh, and so she has had the wisdom to say, no, we don't actually need to do that. We can just let them, let them speak the way that is coming intuitively to them uh, and knowing that they will eventually make those corrections on their own. 
as they continue to hear and learn. And, and then those corrections will be much more inherent and strong if they discover them on their own. Rather, rather than just being constantly corrected and told how they, quote, should be speaking. Um, similar with, with other academic areas, um, or, or when a child is trying to recall a memory or something they learned, um, we, we've learned to, to give a lot of space to that. Um, so we, we, we really practice giving a lot of uh, wait time just waiting. So um, our, our instinct is to kind of, after we've asked um, a child a question, our instinct is to just kind of jump in with, with some prompts or jump in with the answer because we're worried the child will feel insecure or embarrassed if they can't immediately come up with the answer. <laughs> but really it it tends to be our own embarrassment or insecurity that leads us to to kind of jump in and and speak for them sort of like oh no did i did i not phrase the question in the right way or or did i not give them enough background information so you remember you remember that that kind of thing um, that i i feel uh, a tendency towards but really the kids are are fine with it they're fine with that space. They're fine with that uncertainty. Um, and often they need those extra moments. They need those extra moments to process and to then take a shot at an answer, even if it might not be the correct one. Um, anyway, we're kind of getting into the weeds here. But this sort of educational practice has really helped me uh, not just in considering Easton's growth as an academic individual, but it's really helped uh, our relationship, the relationship between him and me. And I, f- I feel it helps to build his confidence as he's able to, to just take chances without the worry that he'll be immediately corrected. Um, he can live more courageously and and try things out and and then make those mistakes and and build on them uh, intuitively as he learns and grows. So so back to uh, this this new calling of of what my posture toward him might be this past season. Um, he's as I said he's four years old. He is a four-year-old, and uh, and enjoying him, enjoying him as was my my past calling, is is often very easy actually because almost too easy that it doesn't require a lot of focus um, to just to just kind of sit back and enjoy him because he's so funny and interesting and right he's not a baby anymore he he gives so much he he contributes so much to our our little world. Um, he's so full of curiosity, um, and so enjoying him kind of comes naturally. It's it's more of a passive response at this point. But also, like some four-year-olds, he is also becoming more aware of his power and influence in the family, 
and also upon realizing how limited that power and influence might be, he is actively and readily testing to see how it might expand, how he might expand on that power or not, or not uh, to, to his great frustration. You can imagine how this testing has caused some frustration for me, for dad as well, and for mom. And, uh, and he and I have been in a season recently where I've allowed that frustration to, to impact me in ways that I, I don't really like, uh, to impact the tone of my voice towards him, the way that I speak to him, the, the speed at which I react to his behavior, raising my voice. And I, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't like it for myself. I don't like it for him. Uh, and really, it, it doesn't help the situation. Um, doesn't tend to make anything better. Um, he just tends to respond then more, more aggressively as he sees me getting fired up. So the other day, I was, I was sitting with him uh, playing trains, and I noticed him trying something interesting with the train layout. And it wasn't something I would have chosen. And my instinct could have been to correct him, right? To show him that, well, this is the better way to do that, to make that happen. But instead, I, I, ignored, that, I ignored that instinct and I just enjoyed watching him, uh, watching him try out this new strategy. And then I realized, wait, I, I could just enjoy this and, and keep it to myself, or I could let him know. I could let him know how much I enjoy it, which is to say I could delight in him. I could delight in him actively. Now, of course, this wasn't the first time that I had expressed to Easton how much I enjoy him. We, we try to encourage him and build him up continually. Um, but in a new way, it felt like an answer to the challenges that we had been having in our relationship. Um, with his, his pushing and sometimes demanding attitude, and then my frustrated reactions to him, it felt as though I had a, a different uh, preemptive choice here that I could make. That if we could continue uh, to if I could continue to focus on building up his bank of, of trust, his bank of self-worth, um, if I could build up that bank of his feeling appreciated and known and celebrated, that it, it wouldn't just possibly help soften the corners of his behavior, soften the edges of his behavior, but, um, but maybe, and probably more importantly, uh, it could greatly impact my attitude, my response to him. By, by more regularly delighting in him, there would be less and less room in our relationship for contentiousness. We read throughout Scripture the ways that God 
delights in us. In Isaiah and Zephaniah and throughout the Psalms and in the very life and ministry of Jesus, we know that God delights in us and we are invited, we are invited to delight in God and delight in all of God's good creation, not just for creation's sake, but for our own as well. Psalm 37, uh, in verse 4, the author writes, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's something, there's something so deeply true about the way that, that this happens, the way that the, the psalmist describes this. And similar to the effect that uh, expressing and considering gratitude, specific things we can be grateful for, even in the past, how, how doing that can actually change our lived experience here and now. Similar with, with delighting, with delighting in God and God's creation, he will give you the desires of your heart. Not, not like a, not like a transactional magic trick sort of. Well, well, if you say nice things about me, I'll give you a treat. <laughs> right? God, God is not Santa Claus. It's not. <laughs> God's a bit bigger, I think, um, than than those small things. No, the the author is tapping into a a deeper rhythm of reality here that our are choosing to delight in God and what God has placed before us can actually transform our perception, our thoughts, our emotional state by by choosing to delight. It's as though something something opens up within us. Something opens up within us that allows us to more fully experience the delight as well. Some of you who know Pastor Daryl, you may have noticed this, but I want to point out, I want to point out that that Daryl really makes delighting in others an intentional priority. He He will notice and remember specific things about people he interacts with um, and specific experiences and instances. He will notice these specific things and then he will make an effort to delight, to share those stories and gifts that he has learned about. So my encouragement to you or, may, or maybe just my question for you would be, what is one thing in this new year? What is, what is one thing or, or who is one person that you might actively choose to delight in this, for this week, this season, even when it's not easy? Maybe it's a, a particular repetitive task at home or at work that you're choosing to, I'm going to, I'm going to delight in this thing, in this work. Maybe it's an activity that you have loved 
but that can also quickly bring with it some frustration. It's not, it's not sort of filling you up in the way that, that you're used to. Maybe that's a thing you can choose. I'm going to delight in this for what it is, no matter the result. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a person. Maybe a loved one or, or a coworker or a friend that you're just going to choose. I'm going to delight in this person. Because just as our, our growing awareness of the way that God delights in us can change us, in the same way I think our delighting in situations or delighting in others can have an impact on them. And, and of course can have an impact on us as well. So let's find some things to delight in, find some things to enjoy, and then to celebrate. Let's do that this new year together. I'm with you. It's not always easy. I'm going to fail most of the time. <laughs> um, but, I'm, but I'm with you. I'm with you in this practice if you'll join me. I look forward to hearing what Pastor Courtney has for us as we start a new series uh, next week. It's good to be with you as always. Go in peace.